In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today we commemorate the martyrdom of St. John the Baptist, forerunner of the Messiah. The word martyr comes to us from the Greek tongue and simply means witness. In the Christian church, usage has narrowed to those who have borne witness to the word of God at the cost of their lives. In Revelation, for example, John says that he saw under the altar in heaven, quote, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne, end quote. It is of extreme interest to note what these martyred souls say. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? We note first one of the many astonishing facts. Astonishing because of what bland American Christianity has stolen from us. While the martyrs and saints are indeed in heaven, in paradise, just as our Lord promised the thief on the cross, heaven is by no means a perfect or completed place. At least not yet. This is why the scriptures speak of the ultimate need, not only for a new earth, but also for new heavens. The present heavens, where all the blessed who die in the Lord are taken, has in fact been host to great evil, to Satan and his fallen ones. It has been host to great violence and war, when Satan and his fallen ones were cast down to earth at the ascension of our Lord. And even now, the Holy Scriptures do not describe heaven as a place entirely without tears, but rather as a place where tears are wiped away by the hand of our Lord. Heaven is not yet a place of finality or completion as even the words of the martyrs show. They are yet still praying for the fullness of righteousness and justice to come, praying for the final expulsion of evil from God's good creation. How long, O sovereign Lord, before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? Now far from our Lord rebuking them, we read that they are given white robes and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. We see also then that one of the reasons why our Lord Jesus has not yet returned is that the full number of saints and the full number of martyrs has yet to be completed. The merciful and, and, and creative activity of God in our midst is not yet finished. In the heavenly martyr's words, we hear still other astonishing things. These cry out, how long? And they are told to wait a little while longer. 
there is quite obviously a passage of time in heaven, and it's directly linked to the passage of time here on earth. Saints in heaven and saints on earth are all waiting for the fullness of time when our Lord Jesus will return and set all things right. And part of our Lord's making all things right is his judgment upon evil. How long, O sovereign Lord, before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Sensual and effeminate American Christianity has taught us, contrary to these things, that there is no room for vengeance in the Christian heart. But the Bible begs to differ. The martyrs in heaven beg to differ. The true church throughout the ages begs to differ. Our Lord Jesus is coming back in great judgment and wrath against evil, and he begs to differ. It is true that we are forbidden to take vengeance into our own hands as individuals and apart from a proper office or calling from God that might require us to do so. But that does not mean that vengeance is sinful, nor is desire for vengeance a defect in the Christian heart or evidence that someone lacks grace or has failed to fully comprehend the gospel. Good luck making those claims in the faces of the holy martyrs in heaven. The desire for vengeance is, in fact, a good and godly desire for justice and for a final end to evil, as the words of the martyrs prove. The Lord doesn't rebuke them, but gives them a white robe and words of comfort. Vengeance isn't sinful. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. And St. Paul writes this very thing to the Christians in Rome who would in coming years face martyrdom themselves. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, wrote St. Paul, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And Paul goes on to encourage the Christians in Rome to be kind to their enemies precisely because they could be assured that God has justice and vengeance well in hand. So when we hear of martyrs in Afghanistan or China or wherever else today, we may be comforted. Not only will the Lord sustain them in the faith and receive them into heaven, he will also vindicate them and bring justice to those who did violence against them. Quite obviously, we pray for the conversion of the wicked, just as St. Stephen, the first martyr after Christ, prayed that God would forgive and convert those who were stoning him to death. Indeed, we recall how no less than St. Paul himself, a persecutor of the church, was converted to Christ. How could we fail to mention the first words that our Lord himself speaks from the cross when he prays for the forgiveness and conversion of those who are crucifying him? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But how foolish it would be to pit prayers for forgiveness and conversion against prayers for justice and vengeance. 
They are, in fact, two sides of the same Christian coin. Repent and be forgiven, or continue in wickedness and be destroyed. Before his own martyrdom, our Lord Jesus spoke tenderly to his disciples about the reality of persecution in this world. A servant is not greater than his master, our Lord said. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Contrary once again to the soft and pandering spirit of American Christianity, our Lord tells his disciples that they will not avoid offending others, nor is avoiding offense even the goal. Christ is offensive to evil, and thus we will be too. Evil attacked Christ, and evil will attack us also. No amount of winsomeness or pandering or capitulation will change this. And thus we come to John the Baptist, whose martyrdom we commemorate today. For what was John imprisoned? For speaking out against the immorality of a politician. For what was he beheaded? Because of the whims of a dancing girl and her wicked mother. Because evil hates what is good. Why was John martyred? Was it for speaking the gospel? No, for speaking the law, for standing up for what was right. And how easy would it have been for John to simply apologize, take back his words, be released from prison, be spared from death? But of course, John would not take back his words. Better to offend man than God. But imagine the good that John could have done had he simply did what he must to be set free. Think of John the Baptist, greater than all others born of women, still in his early 30s, freed from prison and preaching Christ to all. No, John wouldn't even be tempted by the false piety of pragmatism. He spoke God's word. He uttered the truth. He wouldn't back down. And thus, John showed himself to be the true forerunner of Christ, faithful even unto death. For as it went for the forerunner, so also it went for Christ. Indeed, the book of Revelation introduces Christ to us as the martyr, the witness, who is the truth and speaks the truth and lays down his life for the life of the world. We who follow Christ, the true martyr, will conquer the powers of darkness, but not with our own reason or strength, with our sins cleansed by his blood and with our mouths bearing witness to him. The true church and remnant here in America will not need to rouse itself and wake up. We will be forced to wake up. Indeed, it's already happening. I hardly need to point out the obvious, but I'm going to anyway. Christian churches, Christian schools, Christian agencies, and Christian individuals in America have already faced unjust lawsuits, closures, vandalism, abuse, reprimands, threats, firing, and mockery. 
the unjust closures of churches by the tyrannical politicians during the pandemic are almost certainly a portent of what's to come. If you love the church, vote accordingly. More than ever, it is incumbent upon us to recall and to cherish the example of St. John the Baptist. Although he did publicly proclaim Jesus to be the Messiah, John wasn't martyred for this. Although he did publicly state that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he was not martyred for this. John was martyred for making precisely the same kinds of statements that we ourselves must make. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, John said. And so too we speak. It is not lawful for you to murder infants in the womb, as has been done to tens of millions in this country. It is not lawful for you to take little children and mutilate them in so-called gender reassignment procedures. It is not lawful for you to sexualize young children for entertainment. It is not lawful for you to teach white youth that they are inherently racist and evil because of the color of their skin. It is not lawful for you to force people to deny simple biological reality and indulge your mental illness about gender and pronouns. It is not lawful for you to withhold sex from your spouse when they request it or to fornicate and defile the marital bed. It is not lawful to divorce without biblical cause or to exploit the situation for financial gain. It is not lawful for our politicians to lie to us and undermine the Constitution that they have promised publicly to uphold. It is not lawful for the rich to exploit their position to flee from taxes, manipulate markets, and oppress the poor. America, like us, you need Jesus. Pastor, church, and all people need Jesus. For we have all fallen short of the glory of God and the righteousness of his law. And in Jesus only, do we find forgiveness, divine forgiveness, full and free. In Jesus only do we find an end to the accusation of the law. And in Jesus only do we find true healing for ourselves, for the earth, and yes, even for the heavens. For behold, Jesus is making all things new. We are warned in the scripture of the Antichrist that he is precisely the man of lawlessness. Let us flee then to Christ who is the man of lawfulness, the man of righteousness, in whom the law is perfectly kept and fulfilled, the man who embodies perfect love for God and man. Indeed, the height and profundity of our Lord's love is precisely that even when God forsook him on the cross, he yet loved God perfectly. 
And even when man put him on the cross, he loved us perfectly. And thus he truly is the martyr, the witness, who shows us what it means to be man, to be fully human. May God keep us steadfast in Christ, steadfast in his forgiveness for all our sins, and steadfast as we bear witness to him and his word, whatever may come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.